Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we're talking about team building and what better way to do it than to have both Chris Hempstead and Dave Laval on the show. These guys were two of the first men to join women in ETFs, and I'm delighted to have them join us. Chris Hempstead is a managing director and head of ETF and AP portfolio rebalancing at Murray Asset Securities. Chris spent the earlier half of his career as a specialist market maker on the floor of the American Stock Exchange. He has worked for the last 12 years on the client and issuer side of the ETF business. Chris has been married for 22 years. They have five kids, including two sets of twins and two dogs. His family has always seemed so much bigger as they appear to be an extra 10 kids rummaging around in the yard or kitchen. Chris loves to cook, and the family adores spending time at the beach or skiing in Vermont. Dave Laval is a Senior Managing Director and Global Head of ETFs at Grayscale Investments, the world's largest digital currency asset manager. Prior to joining Grayscale, Dave was the Chief Executive Officer of Aluran S-Network Global Indexes. Dave has served as U.S. Head of Spider ETF Capital Markets and led the NASDAQ's exchange-traded product marketplace. Before joining NASDAQ, he was a member of the New York Stock Exchange and American Stock Exchange, where he managed trading business. Dave is married with two kids. He loves the culinary scene, from unique restaurants to hole-in-the-wall coffee spots. I'm excited to welcome Chris and Dave to the show. You are the first men we've had on the We Talk Careers podcast. This is important to me. Because when we spent significant time together in New York, it was about the time that Natalie and I were co-heading the first membership group for women in ETFs. And you guys were some of the first men to join. You've impressed me from the moment I met you both. So thank you for coming on the show. Well, that's kind. Thanks. Thanks for having, uh, having us and having me. It's, a, it's exciting. I love, I love women in ETFs. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Christine, as well. It's always it's been a pleasure knowing you all these years and continuing to work with you. So thank you very much. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. I mean, it really is kind of a, a neat thing. We've had, you know, a number of women over this last year join us and talk about their careers. And you two are some of my favorites. And I remember sitting in a car with you, Dave, and I think Stephen Clark. And I was talking about a dinner that I needed to go to that night. And I was talking about, you know, where I'd be. And I was like, oh, I kind of feel like sushi. And like right off the top of your head, you're like, I know exactly the restaurant you're going to. <laughs> I'm like, you I, do, do you? <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I have been nicknamed the concierge from time to time. It's this kind yes. of secondary uh, professional, uh, you know, expertise of mine. Yes. And I think I've used you for that a few times. I send you a text. I'm like, okay, now I'm stuck. It's like nine o'clock at night. I'm starving. I know what I want and I know where I am, but I have no idea what's around me. So um, I appreciate uh, what you did. I want to launch an app. It's the Dave Laval app where just no matter what city I'm in, oh, I, I, I'm in Chicago this week. I just go to my Dave Laval app and it'll, I'll tell it what I'm in the mood for and it'll just spit out the best places to go. 
I I agree. I agree. <laughs> and Chris, you are like my like guru of fun stories. Um, oh I, I actually cannot eat wasabi without <laughs> thinking of the story you told me about the baseball sized wad of wasabi. Oh my goodness. So yes, I encourage people who don't know either of you to reach out and ask for a virtual coffee because you guys are you, you guys are hilarious. Yeah, no one is endorsing eating baseball size wads of wasabi. Um, no one, we intend for no one to get injured as a result of this podcast. So, um, yeah. and if you do, it's on Chris. Oh, <laughs> At least you. we're not endorsing that anymore. That was a one-time thing and that was a failed attempt. <laughs> a failed attempt <laughs> at humor. Absolutely. So Dave, um, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Often we have folks tell a story, but why don't you tell a story about Chris? You guys you know, go a long way back. So maybe yeah. set the stage for who is this Chris Hempstead that we have on the show. So, so Chris is like, um, first of all, he's, he's like an ETF genius, first generation ETF genius. I'm going to tell two stories. The first story is the story that I probably tell most about Chris that he doesn't know, which is about his family. Um, but I tell the story all the time because it's just hilarious. First of all, I feel like I know, you know, Chris's wife, Liz, even though we haven't met. And I feel like he knows my wife, Lauren, even though they've never met. But the story that I tell is, you know, after having twins and another kid, you know, Liz and Chris were like, you know what, we'll, we'll have another kid. And then they had twins, which I just think is like an amazing story all around. Um, because like, yeah, one more. And then it's like, no, actually two more. And so I don't know many people who have five kids and five kids that are two sets of twins, which is just, I don't know, I think it's just amazing. So I tell that story all the time. And it's not that it's like funny, but it's, I don't know, it's humorous when, uh, when you think about, yeah, we'll just have one more. And the old man plan, God laughs. They oftentimes find it humorous too, you know, not every time, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the real story, the real story that I'll tell about Chris, that's a little bit more, um, was kind of probably the most entertaining for me. Chris started on the floor of the American Stock Exchange a couple of years before me. I don't actually know exactly the year, but the busiest crowd on the floor of the American Stock Exchange was the ETF crowd at that point in time, and maybe the Intel Options crowd. But when I used to bring guests on the floor, or guests would be on the floor, I would bring them up to the ETF pit, which was where essentially like all ETF trading today basically goes back to the floor of the American Stock Exchange. And Chris was the absolute fastest guy on this keyboard that was called the pause book. Um, and the pause book, if you saw it today, you'd be like, what the heck is this thing? It's like a keyboard that's like maybe two thirds the size of a compact laptop keyboard. The letters are in alphabetical order. So like A, B, C, D, E, F, there's no F keys, there's S keys. And the number, like the nine key number is like upside down if you're an accountant. So it should go one, two, three, four, five, six, but from bottom up, it goes one, two, three, four, five, six. And if you saw, first of all, if you saw Chris's fingers, um, which his hands are massive and <laughs> fingers are massive, and you saw how fast he would go on this pause book, you would absolutely not believe it. And I would probably venture to guess that he was going well over like 10 keys a second. And that's no joke. Um, so that's the one thing that I would say. But um, but the truth is, is Chris and I probably came together more, most formally and most formidably when the American Stock Exchange was moving from like a voice brokered, like human brokered, not automated system into like an automated system to be compliant with Reagan MS um, in the early 2000s. 
And Chris and I were two of the members of the floor community that came together to partner with the American Stock Exchange to essentially download what was in our brains um, so that the tech specs, the you know, technical specifications for that automated system were, were put into writing and therefore the MX could achieve Reg MS compliance. And, and Chris and I were probably, I don't know, more, more most formally kind of brought together in, in that environment. And, and from that point in time, I've, have had a, a mutual respect for one another and a, a professional and personal support for one another. That's been re really, really awesome in my career. So thanks, Chris. Thanks, Steve. That's very, very kind of you. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like I need to be reminded that we were a solution to our own demise. Yeah, you know, listen, listen, you know, a great, a great, a great sign of a leader is to make oneself obsolete, right? Uh, you build, <laughs> you build the team. In this case, we built the technology that, you know, put us out of business. That made That's it go away. <laughs> so it was happening no matter what. So we might as well have had a hand in it. So what about you, Chris? What comes to mind when you think of Dave? Like, what's a good story to share? I mean, Dave is, uh, you know, it's funny, Dave, outside of being a consummate professional and, and expert in his field, I will tell you that Dave is more personally someone that <laughs> I truly enjoy interacting with no matter where it is. It usually starts with just something like, what are you doing this day or that when can we meet? And I know if I answer, yes, we can do something on this day that I don't have to pick a place. He's either going to pick a coffee shop that it would, you just never, you could never imagine where these places pop up from. I mean, they, I don't know how he knows about them before, before the rest of the world, but the places he finds in the corners of New York city or anywhere for that matter to have a cup of coffee and sit down and chat are always special. And of course, the restaurant, you know, the restaurant recommendations and whatnot. But he's also a giver, a big giver. You know, Dave loves to give gifts and send you home with something. And, you know, I remember one time he gave me these cookies, these from some, I don't know even what the place is. It's probably famous now. It was probably on Oprah's show or Good Morning America by now. But it, they had these massive cookies in New York City. And he sent me home with them uh, for Liz and the kids. And I just remember my wife thinking, like, what, what is wrong with you? Why would you bring these as she's eating one? Like, why would you bring these into my house? And she's like halfway through the cookie before. And these were not small little cookies. They were like a pound uh, each. But I got to say, like, Dave's always been big about making something special with every with every meeting that you have you know and and sometimes it's as little as a coffee shop it's just really cool for me they're always big in my mind and sometimes it's a it's a nice little treat or a snack or something like that to send home to the family and i've always liked that about dave he's a consummate runner i don't know if you know this it always it always bothers me how how athletic he is you know he's a he's a a, a big time runner I tell them that I, I, I run once in a while if there's something chasing me, and that's about it. And then I gotta get on. But, uh, no. Being too modest, he's a he's a man of he's a man of health and fitness as well. This guy, come on. <laughs> I try. Yeah. It fits yeah. and starts. And and one more small thing about Dave is when we can't be in person, when we can't get together, you know, he's really good at reaching out via email or chat, and he knows me. He knows I like to kid around and joke a lot. I like to, you know have a fun environment wherever I am, if it's possible. And he loves, he, I, I did a note at a firm I worked at. I used to do this end of day note and they, 
I would always try to end a note with something corny, like a, a, a kid-friendly joke for the dinner table or a recipe or something. I do like to cook. And Dave finds some of the worst jokes ever that my kids absolutely love, like where, you know, he'll just text it to me and he waits to see if I can get the answer and I can, I give up and he'll say, oh, you know, I tried to catch some fog today. I'm like, you did? He's like, yeah, I missed. You know, and so, you know, I'll go home and, you know, it's just stuff like that. He's got a, hey, he Chris, must have Chris, a why Chris, why don't they play cards at the zoo? <laughs> why? Too many cheetahs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm full of them, man. Nobody wants them in my house. Nobody wants He's them in my house. He's got a lot of them. Anyway. And Dave, Dave, you have two kids. So how old are they? Uh, so Charlie's 14 and, and Ben's 11. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I still Just call him my big guy and my little jokes. guy, but like they're yeah. both pretty big these days, which is, um, which is, I mean, they're amazing. Um, yeah. And, and, and obviously Lauren as well. So I think, I think another thing that stitches us together, we're big family guys, Chris and I, I think it kind of starts and ends with our family. So all the other nonsense that we engage with uh, professionally is really just uh, in pursuit of happiness of our families. So. I love that about you both. You know, in fact, actually, that's how I describe both of you is, you know, the way you talk about your wives impressed me right from the beginning. And the fact that you guys have both made, you know, such amazing successes of your marriage. And and it's hard, you know, the amount of hours that you put in, what you've had to struggle with in your careers, even with all of your success. Um, it's a lot to put on families and with having kids and, and, and spouses. I appreciate that about you guys both um, my husband and I and I just celebrated 25 years and yeah, yeah. congratulations amazing I know went to Italy and you know did it up and had such a great time and Chris when I was reading through your bio of loving to go to the beach as well as skiing in Vermont you know th those are the two things that my family does too we love to go to the yeah. beach and then we have a place at Sugarloaf and and I think, you know, when you play together like that as families, I think it just, it bonds you. And um, so I really do admire that about both of you guys. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. I, I, I out punted my coverage. I always tell people Lauren's the looks and the brains and the operation. I'm holding on for dear life. So uh, <laughs> she's, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> no, she's, she's the well, best. considering I, how smart you are, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. Trust me, there. trust me, trust me. She's, you know, ex exceeds all intelligence in our home. That's great. Well, and I think, you know, when I thought about this topic for you guys, team building, I think it requires someone quite spectacular to create excellent teams. And I think there's a lot you can learn. And that's why we do this podcast to sort of share the expertise of our guests with a wider audience. I love the kind of responses we get from folks who listen and, and what they want to hear next. But I think both of you have an empathetic style. You've got, you know, humor. You've obviously got intelligence. You both, you know, came up knowing the business. But I think there's also kind of skills that surround team building. So maybe starting with you, Chris, like, what does team building mean to you? Like, how do you approach that? You know, it's, it's funny because I, I've been struggling with if you were to ask that question that way, how to start an answer. And, and, and part of it is, you know, you accidentally build teams sometimes. And in my most recent experience, it's okay, can we bring you in to do this job? And, and realizing that I'm going to need a team, 
you know, as opposed to saying, well, I'm, I'm going to build a team and then see what to do with it. And so it's sort of, it goes in reverse, whether that team is, is professional, you know, at home or whether I'm working, you know, in my community as a volunteer, you know, to do something. If, if I were to do that, right, I don't do that all the time. But um, you want to assemble, I think most of us want to assemble a group of people that are fun. I mean, just you have to have fun. The work-life balance, as you kind of alluded to, is is already tricky enough in our in our industry and, and and most industries really. Most families have you know dual income, dual people working. You know, it's it's taxing you know to balance this world. But so you, you got to be able to have fun. And there are times, some yeah, sure. There's sometimes where you inherit a team, or or someone you have to bring on the team, or you want to bring on the team. It just isn't that much fun. But I never stop trying to make it more fun. That's one part of it. And I'm leading with it because it's a big part of it. If you can't smile and laugh and enjoy things, then we're probably in the wrong business. The other thing is trust. You know, there has to be a great deal of trust in your teammates. You need leadership for sure. You know, you need to, it's funny, I I work right now and and I think about this a lot, but I work right now, there's a team of three of us that run the specific routes that we run every single day. And while I might be a supervisor for that team, each person on our team, depending on the situation of the day, is the leader. Really, it is a constant give and take of who's got the lead leash here with the situation. And I love that trust that we give one another, the challenges that are accepted. I mean, really, another part of, of being on a team, any kind of a team, is you have to be able to take criticism. You got to be able to take challenges and you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, it's nothing is supposed to be easy. Sometimes it is and nothing has to be fun. Sometimes it's not. But when you when you set out on the task and you, and you tackle it as a team and you get to the finish line, the game's over at that point. The clock stopped running and you can all high five and say, let's do it again. You know, and, that, and it's really important that the celebration aspect of the efforts, no matter how hard it was, is is recognized at the end of any effort. You know, that's pretty much it. I mean, anything absent of a fun attitude, a hard work ethic, a humble work ethic, you know, one that you're willing to share and challenge and also be challenged. And most importantly, to recognize, you know, the celebration at the end of an effort, you know, success or failure. Never look back. Just look forward. Learn from your mistakes and, and, and move on. I love that, Chris. I think I just jotted down so many things there, you know, (laughs) demand-based, which I think is really interesting. The idea that, you know, you've got this big, hairy problem, this challenge ahead of you. So who do you want to assemble? Who do you want to bring in? And and there's got to be a combination of skill sets. And then these other intangibles that you talked about, you know, you've got to have trust. You've got to have someone willing to take on the challenge. You've got to be comfortable in being uncomfortable which I love and would love to double click on that later, but fun, humble, strong ethics, be willing to celebrate. Um, I I think all those things are so good. I think about the latest team. Well, I don't know the latest, but you know, a recent one was we started uh, women in ETFs board and I don't know that it was so demand-based as it was sort of leadership based. There's like, we started with 12 women that sort of came on, as we knew that we needed to provide it an overall structure and strategy for where it was going. And then it was interesting as we coalesced who took leadership of what area, you know, so who found their seats in different places where, you know, they could thrive. So I think sometimes it's demand based. And then sometimes I think you've got this opportunity to bring together some pretty special people that then can sort of decide what the demand is. Absolutely. 
but Dave, to you on this, yeah, how do you see this? Like, is there anything that you wanted to kind of explore what Chris talked about, or do you see building teams a little differently? No, I think. Listen, I think another like a thing that that Chris and I have, you know, maybe maybe sometimes to our detriment, is like we're we're pretty selfless people, you know, and I mean that in a really candid and, and honest way, in the sense that when you're building a team, sometimes you know, managers or leaders take that as a form of power. And I, I really don't believe that at all. And I remind my teams like, hey, they don't call this going to fun every day. You know, it's work and we have to get work done. But that doesn't mean we can't have fun doing it. And so I think Chris and I, again, are aligned really similarly in the sense that we can find a way to have fun, you know, doing this and finding the opportunity when it's really busy, you hunker down. And when there's a little bit of downtime, hey, let's grab a coffee. Let's chat about something. Let's talk about team building. Let's talk about, you know experiences in our careers that we can kind of learn from one another. And I think that oftentimes people can conflate leadership and management. And I think they're really two different things. And they're both critical to having successful teams. And, you know, leadership is about motivating people and management is about ensuring that, you know, people are staying on task and that they're accountable. And there's a healthy balance between those two. And I find that people are either naturally more gifted as managers or naturally more gifted as leaders. And, um, you know, I put myself in kind of a naturally more gifted as a leader and motivating people. And I work pretty hard at making sure that I'm a, I'm a high quality manager because my team deserves that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I have learned about team building, if, you know, you take the first team that I managed, which was on the floor of the American Stock Exchange, and it was 20 plus people that ultimately turned into a trading desk of less than 10. That's a very different scenario. And, uh, and I was, a, I was a, uh, an inexperienced leader and an inexperienced manager. And so what I did is I you know, made up for that lack of experience with a ton of hard work and just making sure that I knew the answer to like, did everything I could do to know the answer to like every question and, you know, try and know the rules as well as you could possibly know the rules and, and kind of earn the respect of the people around me through a lot of hard work and diligence, you know, but that's hard when you're a new manager. But now as I think about team building and leading, it's about building teams that don't have the experience I have and finding the opportunity to really build you know, organizations and teams that can leverage differences and leverage different experience and not being threatened by that, but to say like, hey, I really don't know that stuff. Like that's a really great person to bring onto the team or I don't have that perspective. That's a really good addition to this team. And that's something that that has come in in time. Um, and the last thing I would say is just saying thank you. I feel like I say thank you a lot and I, I mean it genuinely because you know, if you give a little to people, I think in life, you, you get a lot, you tend to get a lot. And that's not a form of scorekeeping, but simply saying thank you and that you are grateful for the contributions. And then also, you know, letting people know where, where they can do better and just having honest, constructive feedback to say like, hey, good job there. This is what you could tweak. And that was a B plus. Let's make it an A next time. And you know what? I think cumulatively in one, three, five years down the line, um, it's really rewarding to see people that you've worked with emulating you or behaving a certain way or coming back to you and asking what you would do in this particular situation is a good indication that you've earned their respect. And that's that's really powerful for me. I love that, Dave. And more so, too, because I think about when you talk about being grateful, being thankful for the people around you, and then also giving feedback that's constructive, that helps people move to the next level. I sort of think about generosity. You know, I, I think that 
generosity can be shown in lots of different ways. You know, Chris had said you like to give gifts and, and I do too. And, and I feel like that idea of like being generous with your time where you're not just like, okay, that person's not cutting it or they're not thinking the way we need them to. So I'm just going to sort of devalue their effort in our teams. Instead, I'm going to go with a mindset of sort of being generous, right? And I'm going to sort of welcome them better. I'm going to thank them for what they did. And then I'm going to show them, not just tell them, but sort of show them the ways in which their contribution could be more value add to our team. So I love that you've been able to sort of discover that over the course of your career. I don't think that we all are born as great leaders, right? Our great ability to form really strong teams, right? And so being willing to kind of look back at your career and say, okay, 20 years ago, things might have looked a little different. You know, I was kind of focused on skill sets. I was kind of focused on the things that I was trying to get done. What do you think, Chris? How has your ability to sort of form teams and work with teams changed over the evolution of your career? Well, I mean, I still think it's accidental. It's really, um, you know, there's certain skill sets in every industry and, and, you know, there's, there's a skill set that I carried with me from the trading on the floor days to uh, more of a client and consultative business. Uh, a lot of it involves education and, and transparency and a willingness to collaborate. And so there's sort of an individual nature to some of that, you know, but you need a team to support you every step of the way. I mean, I have a situation recently where, you know, some of our stuff that we do is a little bit complex and it, sure, it involves like the high profile trading team, you know, they're there, but, but a lot of the, you know, financial services industry and, and, and other industries is really held together by a much bigger team. And, and oftentimes those team members aren't in the spotlight. You know, we, what we call them in the financial services industry maybe is operations, you know, or settlements or something like that. They're not invested in the, in the client relationship, you know, necessarily on a personal level, but the client relationship is worth nothing without them, right? And so they don't get to come into the bubble all the time. And we had a situation where one of the women that we work with who runs a, a good part of our operations team, you know, shared with me, she's like, I just don't know what's going on here. Like, there's no context. And I said, I would love for you to sit with us. I want you to come learn our business. I want you to be a part of our business. I want you to have ownership of our business. You know, really be invested in what we're doing because I need you to understand it. I want you to understand it. I want you to be passionate about it. You know, and it, and, and in, in her defense, it's, it's new to her. All of this is new to her, ETFs, right? And she said, I would love that, you know? And so we're going to do that. We're going to carve out a seat on our desk, you know, to make sure that, not only her, but other people on her team can come and spend whatever time they need to spend with our team, you know, make sure that everybody's on the same page. I just, I can't stress enough how important that is. One thing that is important to just insist upon any team member is things are going to break. Things are going to get frustrating. Things are going to be challenging. That's okay. You know, address it. You can cry for a second, but we need a solution. Right. And we need to move forward. And the sooner we get moving towards a solution, the better off everyone is. And guess what? It's going to happen again. And the second time it happens, it's going to be a little bit easier. And the third time it's going to be a little bit easier. And then and, and really it's I'm proud to say that people seem to want to do that nowadays. People that run away from problems and run away from challenges, 
don't seem to make it in this business. Or they make it for a little while and they retire, I guess. I don't know. But if you want to make hay and you want to bring in business and bring in new relationships, you have to do things that other people aren't comfortable doing or aren't willing to do because there's a demand. And it's not just the frontline players. It's everyone behind them. I tell them I'm in a trading world. And I explain to them every time, I said, trading's the easiest part of our day. It's the easiest part of our job, but it's all for nothing without you standing behind us, making sure that everything stays together, everything gets processed, that everything gets to where it needs to be. Because without that, no one will do business with us, you know, and they need to know that and they need to be reminded of that. Absolutely. Yeah, they're important. They're super important to making it happen. And inviting somebody in and teaching them, it's all about perspective. Like I always think that like, you know, the greatest sign of success is like the greater perspective you have and and the ability to look at a problem from a number of different directions is really the greatest sign of your ability to be successful in the market, despite the fact that everybody else would measure success in other material ways. Like I think Chris and I are both, again, aligned in that notion of like, hey, learn it from my seat. And I'm interested in learning it from your seat because maybe maybe then I'll be able to do my job better or make your life easier or you can make my life easier yeah. um, and we can be more efficient. And I appreciate, Chris, that you talked about giving an opportunity to a woman in operations to you know take a seat at the trading desk, which is it's a big deal. And it's a big deal to bring someone along. I know that we have a lot of people listening that would love to get a glimpse into your worlds and even a shot at being on one of your teams. So what do you think that they should be cultivating now? Like, what are some of the things that you look for when you look for people to join the teams that you're running? Let me tell you something. I've sat next to Chris on his trading desk. Uh, there's been plenty of times when I'm like, I get the hell out of here. So it's not that glamorous. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you want to see a mad, you want to see a mad scientist at work. He pulls up that spreadsheet and he's quoting 1400 names and he's like, look at this and look at this. And I'm like, ah, holy cow. No, um, you, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's super insightful. I've just done it a lot. So, you know, it loses its luster. <laughs> you know, how do we find people? You know, it's hard. You know, we're lazy. You know, humans are lazy for the most part. We, we, we do we do what we're, what we're comfortable with. And, you know, and I said get comfortable with being uncomfortable. But the core reality is, is that, you know, we're efficient, you know, in a sense where we, we try to take the, the most efficient route from point A to point B. And one of the biggest flaws that that we probably have as a, as, as a race is we we remember who we worked with right we remember who was good at something and we go right to that person hey you should come work with me as opposed to find someone that's available find someone that wants to learn find someone that that seems like the right candidate and the right fit you know I guess I, I guess it's just there's two parts to everything how willing is a candidate to learn a new trait and I call that I kind of refer to that in, in conversations, you know, when we're talking about hiring or, or putting out a rack um, as soft clay. I want soft clay here. I do not want a molded professional that's been pre-programmed at some other place, you know, for 10 or 15 years. That's not what we're looking for. We want soft clay. And when we want soft clay, Christine, we want an open mind and a willingness to learn and a willingness to, to be a part of solutions. I find that we get the greatest reward in that approach. It, it's not about hiring someone new fresh out of college because it's cheaper. It really is about finding that mindset that's willing to learn your skill set or willing to learn what you need them to learn their way, the way that works for them. And 
I say this because there are so many businesses and not just in the financial services industry that were created by brilliant minds and those brilliant minds have moved on. And what they left behind was an infrastructure that is that is run by people who didn't really have any genetic input into the infrastructure. They just know how to press the buttons, for lack of a better analogy. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for people to make new buttons. We're looking for people to make new paths and 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 efficiencies and learn things. And But you need to have, on balance, you do need to have experienced people in, in certain roles and in certain spots, you know, so that they can manage the risk and manage and guide that soft clay in the right direction. But again, there's a, I, I know it sounds like you're saying, I'm saying both things, but I tend to get more utility out of, out of someone that's got a fresh mind and a willingness to work and we move on from there. But there are certainly times where we need to go out and find someone with a very specific skill set and put them in the seat. And that can be challenging because at least in the financial services industry, a lot of people have left the business. A lot of people have have moved on to other industries and other other careers. And I just don't see a young crop coming up as big as it was when Dave and I started out, where everybody you know wanted to be a part of it. And uh, we're always willing to talk to people and listen, and you know, and hear their ideas. And look, our industry is growing, and we need people. You know. Yeah. So, and and this may this may dovetail into what is my second to the last question? I cannot believe how fast the time has gone with you two. But what I know is sort of burning in people's heads are why you two joined. You were two of the first men to join women in ETFs. Why would you join an organization like that? And it does it have anything to do with, Dave, who you look for when you look to look at teams? I mean, are you broad minded in the way that you think about who is ready for this industry? I mean, absolutely. I, that 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 builds on the answer to my last question, which was as an early leader, I was looking, and Chris kind of mentioned it as well in his response, um, his previous response. You look to put people around you that you know you're comfortable with, or that you know, or that have similar experience to you. Um, but one thing that I learned down on the floor, and and look, I I didn't study business. I was a you know pre med theology major, and when I interviewed for my first job, it was like you know what the heck do you know about finance? I'm like, well, I, I don't know anything about finance, but I know that I've learned to learn. And, you know, the first internship program that we built was specifically, I mean, not explicitly, but like we really targeted liberal arts majors that, you know, had individuals that were interested in business and expressly didn't come in with a preconceived knowledge of, you know, you know, how informative a PE ratio was to whether you should buy or sell a stock. And like, there's a couple of things that I learned down on the floor that were really, really informative to me about how not to be as a leader and how not to be as a manager. And the floor was a really homogenous place. And, you know, it was a strange place and it was old school and, you know, kind of every way and kind of what was being done using hand signals and, you know, and, uh, and trading by voice and kind of how we got it done. And part of that was the, the teams that we built. And now, you know, I think that, you know, I've learned a lot about building diverse teams as something that can really kind of increase the amount of perspective you bring to, to an organization and to, into solving problems. And I think like at the core traders or building business is really just about problem solving and the people who can solve the problem the quickest and the best are going to be the ones that get there first. And if you get there first, you're going to have an edge for a little bit of time. And if you have that edge for a long enough period of time, 
you're going to actually, you know, be able to establish market share and establish a little, you know, put some roots in the ground and, and have a competitive advantage for a little bit and have better margins and have better capture. And, and that's, that's what it's about. It's about kind of winning. And at the core though, I need people to be hardworking. I need them to be humble. I need them to be honest and I need them to be earnest. Like those are the four things for me. And, you know, I've had the experience of having the person who's the smartest person in the room, but like just, just, just terrible to work with. And that doesn't work. And, and I've had people who are the best people in the world to hang out with and just can't get the job done. And that's not good either. You know, so it's, um, you know, it's, it's important to have that balance, but like honesty and, and being humble and being hardworking and, and really kind of giving your all. Um, in a really earnest way is, is what, what I think is a core principles to building high quality, high, high performance teams. So why women in ETFs and does that tie into, you know, how you think about diversity now and, and why were you willing to do it before it was sort of cool to, to join it? Like some of the other men might have, um, after you guys did it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, now hindsight, it does relate and it is, it is related to, to why, but at that point in time, it was a little bit different. And look, you know, you guys have heard me talk about Lauren. She's a high octane, you know, female executive. She happens to be in advertising. I watched some of the things that, you know, she endured in her career, starting family, you know, all that kind of stuff. And she worked, in some ways she had to work like twice as hard, right? To be able to kind of continue to achieve the professional success with all the responsibilities as a mom. And I'm totally a hands-on dad and we're, we're totally a, a team in that regard. But it's like, I just saw that, you know, moms and women in the workplace through her lens was something that, you know, I was really more cognizant of and appreciative of. And so when women in ETF started, I was pretty vocal about saying, hey, like, you know, guys should be able to join too, because let's not perpetuate the problem we're trying to solve by only having women talk about these, these issues. Let's let men contribute and also men here. And, you know, let's try and be solutions oriented and let's be, let's be bringing a diverse, you know, group of people together to talk about these issues and support these issues, whether it's around, you know, careers or jobs or industry expertise or whatever it might be. It was really driven from that and, and through all that I kind of learned in watching Lauren be a, an executive and a professional in, in the marketplace. Oh, thank you, Dave. How about you, Chris? What drew you in? <laughs> Mine was a little bit um, a little bit easier. I mean, it, when when I was um, approached and and brought made aware of it, I was like, I a group of people to get together and talk about ETFs. I'm in. You know, I think I might have just completely blacked out the women in ETF part, and I, all I could think of was, this is going to be fun. Let's do this. You know. Which and is so surprising say, to me because you're one of the better advocates for women. I mean, you really are. You're you're an advocate for diversity, making sure everyone feels included at a table, you know, like all the things that we sort of advocate for, you know, with just finding opportunity for multiple voices, you're there. So I think that's, that's funny. I, I'm so glad you joined the party. And it's been fun. I mean, there's been some years where it's been easier to be more active and other years where it's been challenging to be more active within the organization. But um, it's a fun group of people, I got to say, and I've made some great friends and, and good relationships over the years. And, you know, I look forward to, you know, extending that even more. Excellent. All right. So we've made it to the last question and all of our loyal listeners know what that is. Height and weight. 
Yeah, right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> Not after your cookies. Um, so I am working on a domestic thriller novel, and and I, I love being a novelist now. And I center all of what I write on sort of high finance. And in fact, what I'm working on now, you know, has a trading desk and, you know, some Star Wars figurines in objectionable poses and, and things like that. So I might need to like <laughs> uh, send you guys excerpts to make sure that I am um, fully versed on on what actually goes on in a trading desk. But I am just captivated by um, story. Um, I think that it can inform us. I think nonfiction has a great place to sort of expand the way we think about topics and the way we think about the context in which we live. I love fiction in that it can draw us in and, and let us almost try on different lives and sort of understand maybe the motivations and the challenges that, you know, possessing different skin um, may have for people. So um, I'd love to hear from both of you what you're reading now and, and why you would recommend it. Dave, I'll go first because this is my big, honest, weak, weak spot. I'm not a big reader. I think the last series of books I tried to get through were Harry Potter. And, you know, when, when I was reading a lot, it was like the Tom Clancy or the, you know, those adventure kind of books. I've, you know, fallen into that category of someone who just doesn't read a lot. And I, you know, it's, I know it's not something I'm proud of, but I'll tell you what I, I do like from an informational standpoint. I do love stories and I love hearing about them. I love reading periodicals and I love listening to, you know, to news editorials, you know, like that are really well thought out and not necessarily, you know, this is how many people were, you know, whatever. There's crimes, crime stats and stuff. I don't really care about that, but I just, I love good, wholesome news. I'm a, I'm a kind of a, a glutton for punishment with science and, you know, climate change and things like that. Like not necessarily, you know, can we fight it, but more of what are the impacts? What are the unforeseen, you know, longer term consequences and things like that. So I love data. I love projections and I, I love trying to find little corners of things that are not talked about too often, but unfortunately I don't get a lot of that from reading books. It's usually from NPR or the economist or uh, <laughs> something Which like that. All great things. All great things, Chris. Yeah. yeah for the, no, for no the apologies. listeners out there, I can vouch that Chris does actually know how to read. He is just <laughs> not to read books. Um, no. <laughs> I do know how to read. I just, I fall asleep. <laughs> All right, this is this is a hilarious question for me because the book that I'm reading right now happens to be the first book that I ever read after joining kind of like whatever coming to Wall Street. And it's a book called Reminiscence of a Stock Operator by Edwin Lefevre. And about 4 weeks ago, we were having kind of a little bit of a geeky conversation at lunch and it was a couple of people from my team and one of our attorneys, he's like a contract attorney and who's really experienced on, on Wall Street and used to be a trader. And we were talking about this book and that was the first book that I had ever read and, and why I thought it was so important and that I had reread it a couple of times. And about four or five days later, he came in with 14 copies of Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. And so my team and I are have spun up a very quick book club, which is going to be you know, which is going to going to meet for its first time over pizza. This is I mean, this is if there's ever a Dave Laval thing, it's making a book club and and, you know, talking about the book over pizza. Um, so so anyway, so I'm rereading 
Edwin Lefevre's uh, Reminiscence of a Stock Operator, which is uh, a great story about a guy trying to continue to be competitive as a trader. And it's a wonderful story about how the markets work. And it's been great. It's been great to reread. All right. I'll give it a go. I'll give it a shot, Dave. Send it over. I will send it over. See, now here's the thing. I'm going to send it. All right. So now you have to read it. How many pages? It's not that long. It's 200 and maybe it's like 220 pages. I can do that. Oh, that's so short. I'll get you the big print one. What an what an influence you had to like mention the book and then he comes in with fourteen copies. That's that's awesome. Oh, it was amazing. It. And I so the legal it. team is reading it. The legal team is reading right. it, and my ETF team is reading it. And uh, it is really an incredible. I mean, I could go on for another whole podcast about all the sorts of stuff about you know the the chase for perfect symmetry of information and how that'll never happen and whatever. But that's well, I'll day, read the right? book too, but I'll buy my own copy. So I, but I appreciate the recommendation. I try to read almost everything that folks recommend on this and um, we haven't gotten a recommendation like this one. So thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. And thank you both. I really have enjoyed this conversation and just being able to be caught up through the pandemic and not as spending as much time in New York. It was just really great to, to get to talk to both of you and for you to lend your expertise and your wisdom to our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Thanks so much for having us. And look, let's be honest. Let us know what, what the, what the listenership is. I want to know where we rank here. All right. I, hope we're, <laughs> I want to, I want to, I hope, I hope we're like, you know, at least top 80 if percent. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in the bottom quintile. Okay. Exactly. I'll let you know. Thanks. I'll let you know. <laughs> well, it was great to catch up with you, Dave. And um, yeah, Christine, yeah. thanks so much for the opportunity to have some good laughs and, and share some stories. Um, yeah. It's just, it's, it's fun. And it was a good part of my day. So thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at, with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.